0: Welcome back to the Origination Podcast, where we speak to the top originators and salespeople in the multifamily industry to try to understand what separates the top performers from the rest of the pack. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Jim Gillespie, Executive Vice President of Bellwether Enterprise Real Estate Capital. Jim oversees affordable housing finance for Bellwether and also started their direct bond purchase program. I first met Jim at Redstone. Uh, when I was working there. At Redstone, Jim was founding principal and managing director uh, of their proprietary tax-exempt bond funds. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. You know, how do you know when you hear, when you hear a no from a prospect, if you just take it at that, that no means no, or whether it's actually an opportunity? We'll get into that in this interview and also talk about the importance of a strong network and much more. So without further ado, let's speak with Jim. Jim Gillespie, the legend. Welcome hey. to the origination podcast.
1: Thank you, Morty. It is a pleasure to be here.
0: The pleasure. Well, you know, you should you can you can you can you can hold off on, on that uh, judgment. <laughs> You know, we'll wait wait till wait till the end. Great. So, Jim, I'm going to start the conversation the way I, I I typically do on the podcast, which is to ask you about your early sales ex- experience. Yeah, you've mm-hmm. been a uh, a phenomenal salesperson in in the in multifamily finance for for decades. Um, as far as like early sales experience, anything comes to mind? As far as like it could be grade school, high school you maybe out of college or during college, anything come to mind?
1: Yeah. You know, this is the one question, Morty, I know you asked everyone that I actually gave some thought to. Um, But when I first graduated from Hanover undergrad, I, I knew I didn't want to move home. I knew I wanted to move to Louisville. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but a friend of a friend, a mother of a friend um, recommended I, call Stanley Bayers over at a store called the fashion post in Louisville it's a men's clothing store. And hmm. that's what, that's where I landed. Um, it was going to pay the rent and Stanley started this business himself. I think he celebrated 50 years when I was there. Um, but my priorities were a little different at the time, but Stanley was kind of a ball buster and kept me engaged and showing up on time and, you know, forced me to sell, really, hmm. um, in an environment where I felt a little out of my comfort zone. You know, this hmm. is, you know, the men's clothing store, higher end, you know, the mayor would come in, Bill Samuels, who owns Maker's Mark, it was kind of the who, who's who's who of, of Louisville. Hmm. Um, but Stanley, number one, provided structure for me at a time when I needed it, but also was a good kind of sales coach and kind of with his foot on my back, pushed me to, to sell, but not be too hard. And I've never liked, you know, being sold hard. Um, I like to kind of do my thing when I'm shopping too. I don't like people kind of lurking. So it was kind of what's, what's the right balance, but it, uh, you know, he, he was a, he was at the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah. So do you remember any specific advice that he gave you on selling?
1: I do not, you know, just kind of be yourself. Don't be overburdened or overbearing Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, to be confident.
0: Yeah. So walk me through your, your approach, you know, as you, I'm sure there's a lot of learning, right. But retail, retail environment, customer walks in, right. So the big question is, all right, do you approach them? Do you stand back? Do you like how engaged to be? Like, do you remember, how did you, how do you, yeah. how did you handle those situations?
1: Honestly, I think in retail, it's a lot of, I mean, everybody has energy, right? And you mm-hmm. can just pick up on if somebody's got a, you know, stiff arm, leave me alone, don't bother me kind mm-hmm. of shopping approach and, and others who are more amenable to, Hey, I need something for my husband, I need a sport coat. You know, I, I could really use help here. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of it is just using your instinct and reading the other person. Hmm. And I think that parlays into, you know, what we do today.
0: Yeah. So reading other people's energy, that's like a very interesting way of looking at it. I'm also wondering if everyone, I don't know that, that, that everyone does that so naturally you know, that reads their, their energy. So I'm curious, like, did you find that as a, as a, as a kid, like, you know, do you, do you remember kind of like having a natural feel for people's. Energy and how would you describe that? If if so,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't know that I really. I guess you just, you know, I think instinct. You just have instinct when you you meet someone, um, for good or for bad, and it's been proven wrong too. Where you're like, I'm not gonna like this person, and then you end up loving Mm -hmm. them. But most of the time, you can you can kind of gauge where where someone's coming from, or at least their mood, right? On whether they're open to engaging or not.
0: Hmm, right. So, fast forward to today. Let's say you're at a conference, right, and you're meeting people, right? So, what's your read on how would you describe like different people's energy? Is it just about like if they're open to conversation or is there more texture to it? Yeah, how would you describe like what, what are you reading? On different I think people? it
1: is, you know, if they're open to conversation. Um, you know, I can think of a couple meetings where you're just getting shut down left and right, yeah. um, and I th- think whether it's at a conference whether it's in someone's office you know it's 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 more I don't want to say it's about I don't want to use an analogy like it's dating but Mm -hmm. it is in some respects because it's more about selling who you are as a person and getting them to trust you than it is about selling a product you know I think that's secondary but you've you know, I mean, look, I've done affordable housing for I guess close to 30 years now. Um, so it's all these deals are complicated. And when you kind of engage with a borrower, a client, it's it's a journey. It's it's kind of a, a marriage, at least until you get to closing. So you gotta trust the other person.
0: Yeah. Right. So so let's say you meet someone and they're just shutting you down at every turn. Mm-hmm. Do you say, all right, forget this one, like onto the next one, or do you say, oh, this is a nut. All right. This is like an interesting one. Like, let me see if I can crack this one or is it, you know, yeah, it has become a
1: challenge. Um, there, you know, there've been, you know, usually when I'll go call on a client, I'll, I'll take a colleague and sometimes I may not hit it off with, Either the individual or individuals, but my colleague will. So it's like, all uh-huh. right, you walk in, it's like, well, that's clearly your slide. because they we weren't hitting off, and we'll just work together on them. Um, so where was I going with
0: that? Um, yeah, but whether or not you you go right, do you try to like crack the nut or <laughs> or uh, just say you know what, life's too short, onto the next one.
1: Um, with some clients, I will be persistent and try to crack the nut, right? But um, I also think, I mean, this has happened recently where you know, we spent a tremendous amount of time working with a developer and structuring a deal. This is a bond purchase transaction where we have a lot more discretion over kind of terms and what we can negotiate. We negotiated fees and earn out and then they just ghost you mm. what i'm at that point in my career where if you don't have the if you can't pick up the phone and have a courtesy to at least respect um if you will the the commitment of time that we put into the transaction i'm i know things aren't going to be good when we hit bumpy times um and this mm-hmm. is a new client so that's a case where i'm like all right life's too short mm-hmm. um so there are there are occasions where, where I say okay, it was fun, but good luck. But yeah, for most clients um, aren't that way. I mean, I think in that's one thing I like about uh, I'll say our industry, the affordable housing industry, is for the most part. It, I've made friendships of a lifetime with mm. folks in this industry. You know, it's um, there's some really good people out here.
0: Yeah yeah I think there is a difference right they say in sales that a yes is is the best right a no is not as good, but the me, may- but it's the maybes that will kill you uh-huh you know yeah and yeah. It, it, it's like there there are there are people who you meet who are just kind of quick nose right all Go into that in, in a minute, but it's the people who don't have respect for your time and just kind of keep you hanging, right? That's where it's like you could kill yourself wait, waiting for them. Right. So right. it's maybe you kind of keep it soft. You try, but like if they're not, you have to make sure that they respect that their your time. One one of my best clients ever was someone who hung up on me before I got two words out of my mouth. They picked up the phone. Yeah, you know, I introduced myself. I said, not interested, hung up. So uh- I called back. I thought, I thought maybe we got disconnected. So I called back and he's like, are you kidding me? Slam again. Right. But in some ways like he was respecting my time. Right. He, he, you know, he, he didn't waste a lot of, a lot of time with me. Right. So, but that I took as like, all right. So the the other way to look at it with those kinds of situations is like, okay, this guy has a big moat around him. Right. This guy is Mm -hmm. not accessible. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you, because everyone look, back, back then, I mean, you know, when you even, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was like, it was difficult to identify who a borrower was and to get the right, you know, the contact information. Mm -hmm. Now it's, Mm -hmm. it's, everything is, is, is open and available, right? So everyone is calling this, this guy. And and if, if this is someone who picks up the phone and will have a conversation with anyone who calls, well, that's not a very large moat, right? You can, you know, every, every, you can, even if you do a deal with them, there's, you know, they'll, they're always open to hearing them from the next guy. Right. But if someone someone hangs up on you, it's like, okay, no one is challenge. getting through to this guy. Right. <laughs> so I would try every few months I would reach out and I would, and I would always try, I got his email address, never responded. Then, you know, finally I, I uh, was able to get him on the phone and I started to make it, said, I said, wait, you know, I have something else, something different. And, and, He's like, no, I, right. I said, and I said, no, 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 one second. Like it was, it was an A7 on a, on an FHA loan. I said, no, no, you don't have to pay for the prepayment penalty. We can like cover it, you know, in, in the, uh, interest rate. He's like, oh, okay. Tell me more. Right. And then we, and I ended, you know, I ended up doing like a couple hundred million dollars with, with that, mm-hmm. with that guy. Right. And as long as he was doing deals with, with me, he was not taking calls from anybody else. You know, there, there was someone else, a, a, a developer in St. Louis who he also, he was, this was a nice guy, right? He, he talked and was friendly, but he said, you know, I've had a 30 year relationship with local, with the local lender. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not going to happen. Right. So we were, um, if we went to visit him and he took out his like site plan and he was laying out like his, it was, it was a, uh, an Alzheimer's facility, I believe. And he was showing how he had all this land that was part of the collateral, but was undeveloped, but he he thought he could develop something else on it. So he said, oh, that's interesting. You know, have you ever thought of doing a partial release of collateral, which is a program that's on the books for FHA, not very widely used, but it's like, oh no, no one ever talked to me about that. So we were able to, so we ended up, we were able to do that. We were able to get his collateral released, um, and, uh, he was able to develop on it. And then he gave us a, a a shot at that loan. And then, you know, again, Grayson has done, you know, several hundred million dollars of business with that, with those yeah. with, with him. So there is, yeah, I wonder if like, there, like light, on the one hand, like life is like too short to like have to deal with like assholes. Like on the other hand, like if you never dealt with them, then, you know, you may not have a lot of business and, you know, sometimes it's just a challenge, you know, that it's a, it's a moat that other people have to get through. Right.
1: Right, well, right. And and a lot of times there can be confusion over someone being an asshole or just being a straight shooter, right? Mm. And I'd much rather, like you were saying, I'd rather have a quick no. And I try to do that with my clients, right? I'd Mm. rather than a long, maybe that's the worst thing you could do. Right. Um, You know, call them back in three weeks and be like, well, I'm not sure we might have this. And it's like, really? No. I'd rather quickly be like, I don't really think we have an option. Yeah. And respond in days.
0: Yeah, um, that's I mean, another that's- trap that you get into at the vegan, like when you're when you're starting out, because like you're so desperate to get a bite on on on, on a nibble on the hook, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's a um, you know, it's a conversion of a uh, 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 of a uh, McDonald's to a condo, you know, it's gonna be half condo, half co-op, and like there's gonna be two rental units on top, and <laughs> right? it's like, oh yeah, maybe we could do that under agencies and you try to figure out all kinds of ways to contort yourself. And, and, and meanwhile, it's just like not a fit. Right. And so you're not right. deepening your relationship. Just taking a swing is not always the best way to um, start a relationship. You know, if, mm-hmm. if it's, if it's, if you, um, well, what do you think about that? Cause I know also like, let's say a lot of the business that you've done, let's say at, at, you know, Redstone, for example, and probably at, at, right at related when you're doing a lot of the bond, uh, mm-hmm. placements, those, some of those were hairier deals that, that, you know, that, that they would call 100%. you when they were, when, when another, other lenders couldn't do them. So like, what do you think about kind of reaching for the hairy deals as opposed for just like waiting for like just a fat pitch to, to smack, like, cause you're, you may not get that one. That's right down the middle when you're, when you're yeah. trying to start a I mean, relationship.
1: It's, it's, um, at, related those were all hairy deals they were all highly structured and highly negotiated Um, and it it was I wasn't frontline sales at that point in my career but it was a different type of sales because it was a very limited clientele Mm. including right that was my first introduction to your father and to Greystone Mm. and because we financed so Grayson was acquiring a portfolio of bonds. A large piece of them were from uh, Providian Insurance, which at the time was was in Louisville. So we took a little boondoggle to Kentucky to do the sure. diligence on some bonds. But um, it was uh, when we we closed. It was a little over 160 million dollar portfolio. Where hmm. we, but that's a here's an example. We there was a bond in that portfolio. This is the kind of Deals that we would do. It, it was a very valuable bond. Um, financed a deal in Georgia, I think called Chateau Forest. I can't oh, yeah. I remember this stuff. But the bond, I, and these are not real numbers, but it, the bond was very valuable in that, let's say it had a 14% coupon mm-hmm. um, and it was $10 million. And what we did, thanks to masterminds, including like Michael Lair, the guru of, of bond financing. Um, we dropped the bond into a trust what we call the leverage trust and we issued variable rate floating rate certificates in the amount of 20 million dollars that could go up to a rate of seven percent so we really we took the 10 10 million of bonds issued 20 million dollars in certificates nobody no bank is going to do that no gse Fannie or freddie aren't going to touch that so it was marketing to folks like you know, your dad at Greystone. Um, we're just doing very structured deals that were not commoditized at yeah. all. From the sales perspective, since so when we left Related and formed Redstone and created not just the credit enhanced floating rate bonds, but the private placement, it was a broader product that we were marketing to a broader clientele, meaning we went from kind of these more market rate developers doing 80-20s and more structured deals to um, tax credit developers. And those were not clients we had longstanding relationships with. So when we tackled that kind of market universe, um, thankfully the, the, the internet was around. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, all of those allocations of tax credits or taxes and bonds—it's public information. It's published on the state or the municipality's mm-hmm. website. So, um, and I don't know—it's like six degrees of separation is how I've always yeah. marketed my, you know, uh, attack. Um, we would let's say one of the top five issuers of bonds. You know what, states, and then we would go tackle those states, identify the top developers over the last five years that had been awarded or allocated or applied for bonds. We would go into we do some research, go in a conference room, ever all the partners and the analyst team, and brainstorm on what is the common denominator. Who do we know that knows this developer, who's this mm. client? Because the best way, I mean, look, it's how I got my first job, it's how. Um, every job I've had or every client relationship, for the most part, has been some, either a referral or there's some six, what I'll say, six degrees of separation on almost every client I've worked with. Um, Because it's better to go in and be like, hey, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, And it's it's kind of a common denominator. Every time I say that, do you ever watch that movie? six degrees of separation oh it's, um, probably Smith. yeah
0: great yeah yeah that's really interesting um and I remember I mean so you, I mean you and I worked together at Redstone for a couple of years right and mm-hmm. and, and you know John Sokolovic, like David Levine like they I mean they did have an incredible Rolodex like first oh, of yeah. all they were one of the only two people actually maybe the only two people who I've Scene still have a role, an actual Rolodex. On that
1: <laughs> <desk>. <laughs> yeah. David always had that Rolodex on him. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, but they knew everybody, right? But that uh-huh. idea of like, all right, well, let's see. All right, here are the developers we want to target, and and I feel like the approach, the common approach would be, all right, let's just cold call them and just pitch mm-hmm. them our product. But the idea of, of of thinking about who is, you know, who can introduce us, mm-hmm. right, is simple but so much, so much more powerful, right? Even if you have to work a little longer to find that, that person mm-hmm. um, today, you have like LinkedIn, right? So you can see yeah, your common, sure. common connections. Although, sure. yeah, I don't know. I may have like four or 5,000, like, you know, connections on LinkedIn. Like, I don't know almost how anyone. many are
1: real, like, yeah, yeah, real yeah, fans, I have, yeah.
0: like no yeah. idea who most of the people are. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. That being said, it, it's, it's, it's something. And especially today, I mean, it's not easier to get someone on the phone today than it, than it was. It's, get, it's get, mm. gotten more difficult on the phone. It's gotten more difficult on emails, right? So, but one kind of one you know, a silver bullet way in is if you can find a trusted relationship in common, right? Absolutely. They can make an introduction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of times, I mean, you know, if it's an attorney, a lot of times they won't. They're like, oh, I don't really. I've got a conflict here. I'm not going to make a direct introduction, but at least yeah. it's a it's a name you can drop. Yeah, as um, someone they know that, then they can call and check out like, who's this guy Gillespie? Is he legit or is he is he yeah. just nuts?
0: Yeah, I did that. Um, I did that the other week. I was I was um, I was looking at the list of of Fannie Mae's came out with their list of like top originators in the country yeah. individuals. Right. So I thought, um, oh, these are probably like good people to have on the podcast. So I like looked up, you know, one, and I realized like, all right, I could reach out to him directly, but, but you know, I wouldn't respond to me necessarily if I got in, Like, you know, it's like, there's, you you don't know what's spam and what's not spam. Right. But I had a, a contact in common. So I mm-hmm. reached out to them and said, Hey, like, do you know this person? Mm-hmm. So I kind of, yeah, but I'll, you know, make it, They want me to make an email intro and they did. And then I was able to get on the phone with them. You know, the next day. So right. it's, it's, um, that probably is really something that needs to be leveraged, uh, a lot. Um, as far as yeah, you you know, the network though, like how, how do you build that? Like, cause at the beginning you don't have a lot of common, like you don't know a lot of people. So how do you build, how did, how did you build your network? It's,
1: it's a pretty small industry, right? Um, affordable housing. Yeah, I mean, maybe I've been in it for thirty years, and it's changed. Um, but it, it's a pretty small, it's a pretty small world. Yeah, um, and you know, when we were launching Redstone and its programs you know, it's all about going to the Novigradic conference, you know, it's NHRA. Mm-hmm. I've been on their board for 20 something years. It's it's getting involved in these trade organizations, Yeah, speaking at conferences, hitting the road, um, and being on the phone. Yeah, and that's You know, I was thinking the other day, I'm just, I'm not on the phone as much as I was. I remember Rachel, mm-hmm. uh, Rachel, who was at the front desk. She's like, you are on the phone all the time, like all yeah. the time. I'm like it's yeah. my job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think you know I I'm saying myself, but perhaps others have become more reliant on email. When I think, especially now, um, we would rather have somebody hear somebody's voice.
0: Yeah, not me. I don't rely on email. I don't do it, I don't do email. I do it a little bit. True, you don't. but I do a little I, bit. Not much. But I do. Uh, I will do more like text or Teams. That's like my. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. do that. Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time on email. So let's talk about related a little bit. Yeah. Cause that's, so that's where you got started. And yeah. I, you know, related from what the stories that I've heard, I think it sounds like it was such a unique environment and it's produced so many industry leaders, you know, that if you looked at across the, you know, the spectrum in, the, in affordable housing, I mean, there's so many founders came out of, of related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious what it was like to, get started there? You know, what was it, how, I, mean, I don't know if there was training, like, how did you learn a- the business there? <laughs> what it was the, envi- you know, what was the environment? You know, it, was, it seemed like it was, a little, you know, very competitive, you know, but what was it? Can you describe like what it was? Like yeah. There?
1: So I got my foot in the door Um, here's a a six degrees of separation. My thesis advisor, a guy named Brian Gallagher, introduced me to Denise Kiley, who was the head of, she was Chief chief Credit Officer for Related Capital. Mm -hmm. And I got an internship for a couple of months. I was finishing at Columbia, and I got an internship for a couple of months with Related Capital doing uh, like Tinder offers on their old partnerships, which I had no idea what it was, Mm -hmm. Um, but was able to, Weasel, my I don't say weasel. Um, I got a position working full time for related. What had happened was Ross was going to roll up all of his 80 20 properties. 80 20 properties, for those listening that don't know, it's it's a bond financed affordable housing property where 80% of the units are market rate, 20% are affordable. So Related was going to roll up, I think it was six of their eighty twenty 20 properties in New York into a REIT. The week before the filing, maybe even days before the filing, the REIT market crashed. Ross pulled the offering and just shifted gears very quickly and created a new kind of joint venture that was going to focus on credit enhancement on eighty twenty 20 bonds. So I, hmm. kudos for their ability to shift so quickly. And I think a lot of that comes from ross's leadership and leadership being very focused um yeah. that's stephen ross yeah so, stephen ross yeah. founder of related um yeah. an owner of the dolphins yeah. yeah um so i find myself i have no way, i honestly don't know what i'm doing i don't know a bond deal to save my life um and i'm in a cube so there's There's Ross and his secretary, Peggy, Ed Marin who ran our group, and his assistant, um, whose name I forget. And then I was right there, right? So I was, you're thrown in, right? And there were were some senior folks who were very good mentors, but it was also very cutthroat at the kind of my level. And there were days I went home, you know, I was working 12, 14 hour days. There were Mm -hmm. days I went home in tears and there were days I went home, you know, feeling like big shit um it was a sink or swim environment you had to fight um Mm -hmm. and i hate being told what to do and i felt many times i was implied that i'm not good enough to be here um Mm -hmm. and it gave me fight you know and um we were these were Great times because we were we were rocking and rolling, and I just had my head down and was just executing on deals and just learning so much. Um, we kind of created these two funds, and I was doing everything from modeling cash flows to closing deals to sending out servicing invoices because we didn't really have a servicing department. <laughs> um, so it was doing whatever and whenever uh, needed to be done, uh, just making sure it it was it was done but yeah they were those were were great times um in my career you had to be on your toes back in the day because we were all on the ninth floor at 625 madison and the old phone system you could push a button and intercom pick up the phone and page the entire floor right <laughs> and i will never forget the first time i hear jim gillespie or yeah jim gillespie see steve ross and you know first you crap your pants you grab everything on your desk and you run to the corner office. And then it happens over and over again. But yeah, it, it was great times. Ross has a, a, a mind of steel. I mean, I, I, the first deal I closed was a little deal called Atrium Apartments we were buying for like $3,950,000. And I get this random, you know, see Steve Ross intercom, uh, and I run to his office and he just would, re- I'm like, how do, you, how do you recall? Like with everything the company is working on, how do you recall the details of some little, $4 million hundred unit acquisition in Daytona beach, um, yeah. but he's just on his toes. But yeah, you just, you had to be on your toes.
0: Yeah. So as far as like the leadership and the vision, I mean, cause yes, Stephen Ross is clearly a, a visionary mm-hmm. uh, with what he's done on the development side. Um, but what was it like working for him? Like what was, what was the interaction that you had with him? Like, did you, did he, Set the pace that he established the vision. Like, what was the? You how did he kind of create that that dynamic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just by his vision. I mean, Ross always said he wanted to hire the smartest and best people in the industry and some, and surround himself by people that were smarter than he was. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's something I try to do in my career. But yeah, I mean, he's just by his presence. Um, he's respected through the office or at least when I was there was very well respected. Um, He never took his jacket off. Um, Mm. So it was somewhat formal, Um, but you know, set the tone. You either, you either perform um, or you get out. Um, Yeah. A lot of turnover. Remarkably there was some turnover, but I would point to the fact that, Senior management at related, even today, Blau, Beal, some of the folks in affordable in retail have been there for decades. People yeah. are incredibly loyal to the man, and he is loyal to them. I mean, that's it, leaving there was was not an easy decision, nor was it an easy negotiation. In that, I did have a contract and had to negotiate my exit directly with Ross, which you oh can gosh. imagine was was fun.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But there is something about, yeah, I don't know that you have that today, that boiler room. Yeah. You know, the, uh, it, yeah. Mentality, you know, there where it's, I don't know what's the line from, I don't know, maybe it's from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is like, you know, first prize is you know, thousand dollars, like second prize is, is steak knives, third prize is you're out, you're out. Like
1: there's, yeah,
0: but yeah. That, I, I don't know that people feel there, there's something to be said for that accountability. I,
1: I, hate, I hate to say it in some respects, but we can't do and say a lot of the things that we would dare. Um, yeah. I think we, we take a very soft approach. I'm going to say we, globally. We mm-hmm. take a very soft approach with our employees these days because we don't want to offend them or hurt their feelings. And sometimes we just need to drop the S-bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was dropped quite frequently there. And it was met.
0: Yeah. It's funny. My, my kids, like my, my oldest kids are like 16, 15, 14. And then my youngest is, is nine. And my older ones, they lament how that, that I'm like softer with like, you know, they're the youngest than I was on mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like he's never had his mouth washed out with soap. <laughs> <after>. <laughs> it's like, but you know, it's, I don't know if I'm, you know, allowed to admit that that you know that may or may not have happened. You know, but, but like,
1: it was there. Certain I may or may not have paddled my child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's certain
0: certain pedagogical uh, you know, <laughs> you know me- methodologies that just are are not acceptable anymore anymore. Which look probably a lot of that for for better. It could. I mean, I'm sure it was um, not an easy place to work. But there's like that idea of just look. Like I mean, the fact that there was very little turnover is telling, right? Because the people who showed up were people who were looking for that kind of an environment,
1: maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. When I, uh, not just got my internship, but certainly when I got my, you know, permanent position, which is a month or two later in my mind, I had landed a job with, if while I was at Columbia, if there's one company I would have picked that I could have worked for, it Mm -hmm. was related. And so, There's that. There is a cachet in saying that I worked at or I work for related um, yeah, and for a reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think also that, that, that idea of competition, I feel like it's important to be at a place where you can compete in some mm-hmm. ways. I remember like when I was originating, you know, my brother and I were, 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 we, we ran a team together and then there was, there was another team that was always, that was a very high producing team. And when we, you know, we'd look at the pipeline and say like, like, oh crap, they signed up $200 million last month. Like, you know, like the hell with that. And so the next month, right. like we'd sign, to sign up 300. Right. And, and you want, like you need, it's, it's that, um, yeah, you're in Louisville. So you're, 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 you know, you have course racing to, down there, uh-huh. but that pace, Don't have that pace horse, like it's you know, you're not gonna get the same performance out out of people. So I look, it's it's tough because there's people who are so far outperform, right, that you don't consider them as as competition, but I feel like you want to kind of like create some kind of a mark and say, all right, I'm gonna see if I can get, you know. Right.
1: I I'll tell you, I mean, this is jumping to redstone, but I look back at it now and I just laugh because. When we were building the company, kind of production was all under me. And I was, I don't want to say solely responsible because mm-hmm. it does take a village. But John and David, especially David, were just good at manipulating my psyche in that several times. I remember there was one year, I think we I had five deals closing in December. It was just it was it. It was it was a it was a good end of the year, and mm-hmm. I remember they all closed. Or you called in the office, and it was you know kind of this half-assed congratulations followed yeah. by but but your pipes your pipeline really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I would walk it. I, I remember once I was so angry, like I left the office. But what that fueled in me was this: I will show you right, and right. then before you know it the pipelines fall again. Um, yeah. And I look back at them like I totally knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. it's a
1: it's a, it's competition, it's drive. I mean, I, I was just driven. Um, yeah. you know at the time I just I, I loved that company and would have done anything to yeah. to, to further its success. Yeah. So I want to talk
0: about about redstone a, a little bit and kind of comparing it. So so I came from, I was at Grayson for a couple of years. I was had learned, you know, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, and then I went over to Redstone and it was a very different experience to have a, a balance sheet product, you know, mm-hmm. where it wasn't, there was a lot more freedom and autonomy and it was also a smaller shop. So there was, you didn't have the same kind of division of labor. Like I remember there was a deal that I had signed up where I was wanted to sign up and, um, I went in to talk to John and David about it. And they said, all right, why don't you just fly down to Memphis and go, go see what you think. I was like, what, what do you mean? What do I think? Like, what's, I I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, yeah, that's what the underwriter does. Like they go down and look, you know, I have no idea what to look for. And he's like, well, just think like, would you, you know, would you be comfortable living there? Yeah. And, um, that was a whole different, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I can actually look at this as not just a transaction, but as a piece of real estate, as something that's a, a home. But it, you, know, you were in the bond world, and then you went over to, you were at Hunt, and now you're at Bellwether. So you, now you're seeing kind of the uh, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, right? And you're also still, you started a bond purchase program there as, as well. Right. But what, how would you compare the experience of working through like the agency programs compared to like a balance sheet program? um
1: quite different but there are similarities and i want to jump back though to your comment about kind of the related or the redstone approach to to underwriting right Mm -hmm. that all of us that came out of related that formed redstone were from related where within the bowels i'll say of a real estate development company we created a lending platform Mm -hmm. And the way we approached underwriting all of our deals at Related was not from more or less a lender's perspective, but from an owner's perspective, Mm. Um, especially given a lot of the deals that we were doing originally were, in some cases, 100% financing, where we would take a participation. So we looked at, and our deals weren't underwritten by Property managers and asset managers within related. Um, so, yeah, I remember the first deal we were closing at Redstone. We had not hired Diana. We didn't have an underwriter. Um, she was there when you were there, right? Yeah. And we still yep. capital was from Prudential still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it. The the early. Things were interesting because I was not an underwriter, but I was preparing the underwriter's package. <laughs> and i right. like, we've got to hire Mays now. Right. <laughs> There's a very different underwriting process in underwriting uh, an agency loan versus how we would do it. But um yeah, so uh not only have I focused on affordable housing, but yeah, I kind of specialized within taxes and bonds. Um and yes, yeah, so the left redstone I've built out or building out. um, We're two years in on a private placement product at Bellwether. And the similarities to agency are that most of our investors um, are going to securitize these loans or bonds, much like we did at Redstone. They'll build a pool and securitize the senior piece to typically Freddie Mac. Right. Yeah. So the underwriting conforms to Freddie Mac standards. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty Most, of having- Mostly. Mostly, mostly, yeah. but that's, you know, um, and that's kind of the Redstone way too, right? That you're going to underwrite to Freddie Mac because you know that's where you're going to lay off your senior piece, but yeah. you're going to retain a 10 or 15% piece mm-hmm. and that's where you can pull different levers through longer term amortization or earnouts or um that's where you differentiate yourself from from the agencies is mm-hmm. underwriting some overhang on a section eight deal
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where you you conform to but you make educated risks where appropriate mm.
0: yeah, so. Did you, do you think it's easier to sell one or the other, or, I mean, like you don't, it's not a commodity or is it a commodity if you're selling bonds?
1: It is for me, it was a transition, right? When I left Redstone, we were going to build out private placement at at Centerline, now Mm -hmm. Hunt or Lumen, Mm -hmm. whatever they are now, Um, and that never happened. even the sale to centerline to, to hunt. Um, so I went from selling a product that was pretty highly negotiable to what was a commodity. So I had to right. change my mindset, especially yeah. like I said before, I hate being told what to do. Now I've got to get everything to fit in this box. Right. right. I was like, okay, well, how do I, it's going to take me some time to figure out what that box is but how do i leverage the resources who know that box and figure out where can we push those levers and i think that's what a good agency originator does is here's here's the little you know your desk guide with fannie mae but mm-hmm. how do i work with the folks i know at fannie mae or our underwriting team to provide some terms get waivers where appropriate yeah. to provide the best execution for them so it's you know it was it was definitely a a Transition for me to go from the Redstone to an agency origination model. So, today I'll tell you what we do at Bellwether. If we get a new tax exempt bond transaction in the door, we typically will size it up for both a Fannie Mae, we'll do a side by side comparison of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and private placement, Mm -hmm. including the cost and come down to a net proceeds level. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And then present that to the client. Talk about mm. the pros and the cons. This may be the net best execution, but your construction, you know, you've got an equity partner who requires the construction loan, so it's gotta be a forward, which we can't do through price. So it's, it's, that's where I think we add value is presenting mm-hmm. a limited amount of options, being completely transparent about what's good about this execution today, what's not good about this one, and really kind of being their trusted advisor. Yeah. Do you and not giving them too many options. Right. We do FHA as well. So, so, do you present that too? Sometimes, if they would like to see it, it will be like the cashback bond structure. But yeah. um, if they have time, a lot of times with bond deals, they're, they've got a gun to their head as to uh, in regards to expiration of the, the bond allocation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's one benefit of, of doing tax credit deals is that, you know, that's always like one of the questions is how many options to show, right? Cause you have, you know, just, just Fannie Mae alone, you could show 30 different options between yeah, and leverage levels and IO and term and all, you know, all that. Right. So, but with a, a tax credit deal, like, you know, they need 15, 17 years financing. Right. right? That, so there's like one term, cause that has to be, mm-hmm. it has to go through the length of the tax credit compliance. Well, tax credit earnout period compliance period maybe is longer. And then it's, it's just about fewer variables maybe in terms of what their considerations even
1: could be. Right. I mean, that's, you know, uh, I'll use an analogy. I don't know if you've ever worked with an interior designer, or if you like go mm-hmm. to redo your bathroom and you go to pick out tile or God forbid recently go to Dwayne Reed and try to pick out water. Cause there's like 50 different waters now. Right. Um, but I can't walk into a child store and pick out child for the bath. There's way too many options. So what's the best thing an interior designer does is like, here's, I know your taste. I know your style. Like we do. I want to know what the background on your deal, what your equity needs. It's my job to give you four options. Here's your four best options. Here's the pros and cons. If you don't like any of them, we'll go back to the drawing board. Yeah. I've I've never used the interior designer analogy, but I kind of like-
0: No, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, It also makes me think like, I, right. So, first of all, if you have a lot of options, that Mm -hmm. is difficult, right? But even worse than that is open ended, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, the the example of tomato sauces, right? Where it's like, you know, that you have, if you had, you know, 50 tomato sauces in in the supermarket aisle, someone won't pick any. If there's three, then they'll, they'll make a decision, right? But if you said someone, look, Design your own tomato sauce. Make your own. Mm-hmm. Decide the consistency and what's added to it. Right then, it's like forget it. Yeah, I'll just get you know. I'll just get pizza. You know? <laughs> so exactly. it, it's um, that's you know when 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 you are guiding a client in a conversation, it there's a balance between like all right, well, what would you like? Yeah, you know, what you know, mm-hmm. kind of you know this what if the sky where the limit. Like, what would you want? But also really trying to understand their needs and then say, okay, well, based on what you're telling me, here are the three things I would consider. Right. Right. It's much easier. I mean, like I can feel my heart rate just slow when I hear three options as Mm -hmm. opposed to 15.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And have you stayed exclusively in, in affordable housing like throughout your career, or did you have you done market rate
1: also? I have done maybe a handful of market rate, but yeah. it has all been affordable. Um, yeah, from eighty twenties to hundred percent tax credits to Section eight acquisitions.
0: Yeah, I I always liked afford, when I was originating. I liked affordable and bond deals uh, because I I felt like it also it was like a bit of a moat, right? Like there was there are certain things that if I'm calling you and saying Oh, Hey, you know, I see your loan is maturing. You do want to refinance. Well, now you're like mm-hmm. one of like a thousand other people that are calling them. Right. If I said, Oh, I see you have tax exempt bonds. Yeah. We have a structure where we can, you know, purchase the bonds. Yeah. And then create some kind of a synthetic refinance where we're mm-hmm. going to put them in a trust and issue certificates out of the trust. And yeah, you don't have, you know, you won't have to, you know, just reset your lockout, like things that I could, Say that no one else that I knew that they probably weren't hearing elsewhere. You know, mm-hmm. you could in the bond world, there's an affordable housing, there's just there's more, there's fewer people that speak the
1: language. At right. Least. It's specialized. I mean, that's we try to really create a team approach at Bellwether. I mean, because we have, I don't know how many originators, non affordable. I mean, that's the mostly. The biggest part of our, our business, and there's probably a dozen affordable focused originators, but more and more market rate originators running up against or up into a, an affordable opportunity. And mm-hmm. so rather than try to school them on the dozens of acronyms, uh, we try to team them up with an affordable originator um, who can walk and talk the language.
0: Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes sense, you know. I feel I feel like I've, I I see with um, not all originators, but a lot. I, mean, I think this is how you know, my brain worked. Also, it's like it's yeah. You, know, you talk about like for, like first in, first out. Like it's that assumes like you have more than one product coming in. But for me, it's like mm-hmm. once I had one product that landed in my brain, like mm-hmm. that's what I understood, and it was hard for me to like adapt mm-hmm. to selling. You know, the, there's I started in FHA, and it's like wires your brain for that, for that product. And then to sell Fannie or Freddie just was a lot more challenging for me to wrap my Uh head around, you know, but it's the same when people start with, with Fannie or Freddie or, or, and then go to, go to FHA. Um, But market rate and affordable, like if you're used to those considerations that a market rate deal has, I would imagine that it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tougher for that brain to learn a new right, language. Right.
1: I mean, FHA, you know, I will sell FHA and I know enough about FHA to sell it, but I also a hundred percent bring in, uh, kind of our underwriting team. We've got a, um, kind of a structuring person who I'll, I'll bring in, but that's one thing I think in production is to admit when you don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've seen it you know, before where originator, you know, walks into an affordable developer experienced affordable developers and, and, and tries to pretend they know right. what they're talking about. And, and it doesn't end up so well. Um, so yeah. Admit when you don't know, and that's with FHA. I mean, I understand the product and some of its nuances, but there's just like, there's so many nuances that uh, that's why you have specific map underwriters. Right. Yeah. And That's yeah. not a role I'm applying
0: for <laughs> no no, but you know one person's confusion is, is another exactly. is, is another one's you know playground God they're there
1: thank God
0: they're there yeah your point about the um you kind of coming full circle I think that that the fact that I think you came out of related coming out of with the developer mindset you know like just trying to really be able to it probably gives you an, the ability to put yourself in their shoes and I think picking up on people's energy I think that's probably, I mean, you and I both know that probably a lot more people have, are like totally blind <laughs> about like the energy that someone's getting, you know, giving mm-hmm. off. Like, you know, you're seeing a conversation and you're like, are they not aware that that person is totally uninterested? You know, and you see it at, in retail for sure. You see it, you know, that, oh, yeah. that, yeah. so, uh, so I, I think that's, um, yeah, I guess, you know, we have just a couple of minutes. If, if you had to say, like, if I, we ask your clients who have, been with you for all these years it's like why do you do business with jim gillespie what, what do you think they would what would they say uh, that's
1: it i liked it let's take a poll and see uh what the survey results say should, i think
0: you know by the way it's a worthwhile poll to do
1: to reach out I to you right i think you're right i think that's yeah. great. yeah we had before the pandemic i'm gonna get in a rattle uh engaged uh with some of the executives doing full 360s yeah. um reviews including from some of our clients. But mm. then they we pulled the plug um, during the pandemic, not knowing what was going to happen economically. Yeah. And so I, I, I would love to, to I would love to see that picked up again because yeah, I would love to get that feedback. But I would hope they would say he's just he is an honest man of integrity <laughs> who picks up the phone when we need to talk to him. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think that it's it's actually it could be very interesting for you to spend some time going to, to your clients and saying, well, you know, why do you do business with, with, with me? Right. And, and well, there's two ways to approach it. First of all, like, because when they're giving you the answer, they're selling themselves mm-hmm. on why they do business with you. Right. You know, cause like, well, because like you're you always come through and you pick up the phone and you're like, like, Oh, okay. That's great. Oh, by the way, I have this other deal. I wanted to like, you know, I to talk to you about Right. because so you're, you're having them do the selling for you. Another approach that, that I've heard is there's certain types of, clientele that, that you like doing business with, right. If you had to think of, this is an exercise that Dan Sullivan, my executive coach, you know, that does with people, but he says, all right, think about like the three clients that if every, everyone were just like that, it'd be great. Your life would be great. You know, mm-hmm. and now think of three clients, two or three clients where like, if you never had to talk to someone else like that in your uh-huh. life, like that would be you know, also great. Uh-huh. Right? And now say, so now you have the contrast. I say, look, well, what, what is it about that first group that makes you want to do business with them? Yeah, they are visionary. Yeah, they have a long term perspective, right? They value relationship. And let's say you try to come up with like eight things, right? That mm-hmm. here's what, here are the things. And now you go sit down with them and say, all right, I was thinking about like why I like doing business with you. And here are the things that I came up with. Like, this is what I, does this resonate as far as things that you relate to? Right. Mm-hmm. And they'll see themselves like on the page. It's like, oh yeah, no one's ever gotten me like that. Right. And so the next thing is I'd love so to, to ex- so acknowledge yeah.
1: acknowledging to giving, you acknowledging. Know, it wants to be acknowledged. To acknowledge exactly. Acknowledging truth.
0: Yeah. What you can Good then attribute. do is to, is to say, you know, I'd love to expand to do business with other people who fit these criteria, you know, who have these similar character traits or features. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone you think I should speak to? Mm-hmm. Right. Because people like spending time, their networks are oftentimes similar to, to themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can use that as like a, as far as networking, it's another potential tool to, mm-hmm. to use. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. I like that idea. I like that. Idea. Yeah. Well, Jim, I really appreciate that your, your time, you know, you've, you've been a, a giant in the affordable housing space
1: everyone is modest to call everyone is sick every,
0: forget about 6 degrees of separation you know, i think everyone is 1 degree separate you know in the affordable housing <laughs> space you know there's no one more than like 1 1 degree r- removed and hearing about your experience through related and your um, ability to read people's energy and and just respond to that is really um, it's really awesome so I, I appreciate the the time and, and the relationship and yeah, yeah, always a you. pleasure
1: always a pleasure mortaka you are one of my favorites
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jimbo. All right. Until next time. All right. I'll Thanks. Talk talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.